Welcome to the show for sinners and sufferers, where we have unpretentious conversations about life, the church, and theology. My name is Cody. And my name is Matthew. And I'm back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Um, I did have at least one comment about you having a better radio voice than me, so I don't know if I'm going to keep bringing you on to put me to shame, but uh, I appreciate having your brain. I mean, I'm just here to to be the frame to your masterpiece. I'm just a compliment. Yeah, yeah. thought you were going to say you're here to be the pretty one, but that's clearly me. You can be the brains. It's okay. Just, uh, just wait. Just wait till my beard catches up. Then we can have a competition. Yeah. Okay. Are you in the world of oils yet? I'll get you some beard oils. That'll. Help. I'm. I'm at the bombs phase. Bombs phase. I okay. don't have enough to justify oils. I don't think it actually helps it grow, but it help. Uh, it helps with the itch when you get to the itch phase. It helps you feel better. Yeah. Just doing something. But anyways, we wanted to we wanted to have a conversation uh, about marriage and singleness. You actually brought this up because you were in a class or something. There's something where you're like, hey, I think we need to talk about this. I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I had a one week class. There's talking about like, what's a biblical picture of marriage and family and singleness and singleness and then all those relationships for that matter are really poorly understood, not just yeah. in our culture, but in the church, too. And you went, hey, I know one guy that's single. Let me text Cody. <laughs> yeah, I'm married and Cody's single. So it's a chance to show maybe who's following God better, if that's the case. Yeah, it's true. Clearly one of us uh, has less distractions from our following of God. Um, <laughs> we'll get into it. But anyways, uh, we thought this would be a valuable conversation because you don't have to look very far to see bad theologies of marriage like obviously in the world where where marriage is constantly being redefined and torn down but even in the church we see some i'd say really shallow and just kind of unhealthy and unhelpful understandings uh, of marriage um you know in the in the world largely uh, I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot going on, yeah. but I think generally like umbrella, what's happening is that the world's trying to define marriage to be about individual satisfaction. It's about your, your own sense of connection and fulfillment, uh, and it can be whatever you want it to be so long as it satisfies. And if a, a traditional definition of marriage isn't going to satisfy you, then you need to change that definition because it's not a, it's really just about you and your interpretation, your experience of it. Yeah. I think the, the reason we see such poor rates of healthy marriages in the world and we, we almost celebrate divorce in our culture mm -hmm. because good for you standing up for what makes you happy. And you're go people go into marriages saying, here's a person who makes me happy and I'm going to stay with them as long as that's the case. And that's, that's very the opposite of what marriage is supposed to be. That's why we have vows and things like that. Yeah. I find it odd sometimes in the world when like, like friends of mine or neighbors, people I meet who aren't believers tell me, Oh, I'm going through a divorce or, or we split up. I always go, Oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. Like that sucks. And they're like, actually it's a good thing. Cause she was crazy. Ha <laughs> ha. I'm like, no, it's like how, it's like, what an interesting perspective. Like, I feel like even if it, even if it was a bad situation, anytime you break a covenant and you break a relationship like that, that's a, it's a sucky thing. But there's sort of this idea that it's like we're so opposed to suffering that if if there's any discomfort of any kind, 
any inconvenience or like I've heard a number of families in churches say like, we're just, we're going different ways in life, whatever that means. Hmm. But then that's, that's the, the excuse to, to break off the relationship because it's not about the, the body. It's not about anything larger than their own individual needs and, and satisfaction. But yeah, exactly. Like people, that statement that, you know, we're going our different ways shows you that they're not really committed to figuring life out together. It's still about like what works for me and what works for you. Mm. But even in the church, I think you sometimes marriage is understood in a shallow way. And I think one that's really common and that you see in like conservative traditional realms is, is they're like marriage is about childbearing. It just just go forth and multiply that's the purpose of marriage and then they use that as they're like that's the reason why god's specific about man and woman because it's about reproduction and that's why marriage doesn't exist in heaven because there's no need to reproduce and they kind of center everything just on reproduction and i think that's actually a really shallow understanding and we'll get into the the larger kind of understanding of marriage as well but uh, I mean, I've also seen uh, marriage spoken of as, as like a Christian obligation. I mean, isn't it? I think it's one of the sacraments in Catholicism, isn't it? Yeah, it's one marriage. of seven sacraments. Yeah, that's right. it's it's sort of just a thing you do <clears throat> out of obedience. And that's where some cults even get this idea that it's like necessary for salvation. Like in certain, I don't know if it's in like mainstream LDS, but in certain groups mm -hmm. of it. Uh, if you want to achieve like the highest level of of whatever they call it enlightenment basically like the celestial heaven yeah like being married is, is part of that that's just one of the the check boxes to be like the holiest of, of holy people um or the speaking of catholics the, the sometimes they view it as just a distraction that's why you know traditionally priests i don't know if priests still have to be celibate or if that was done away with like catholic reformation but i haven't checked recently but i think that's still if not required at least the norm yeah i haven't i haven't asked celibate. asked a preacher a priest recently but you know the priests and nuns or, or like monks is this idea of like staying celibate in order to be focused and, and pure and, and there might be something to say for that but it, it's definitely an over exaggeration and emphasis on on one minor thing or on like a, a specific phrase of right. scripture and so those are a couple of very different ideas but the common thread through all of them is that it's all demeaning what marriage is mm -hmm. as just either a means to an end and just you know so i guess if people who have the biggest families have the best marriages automatically if it's about having children or it's just a distraction and like you said like let's not subject yourself to being distracted from serving God. And obviously the Bible holds marriage as a very wonderful and good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the, at the heart of it, we don't get to define marriage because it's not actually a human institution. Aspects of it are like signing a document is very, you know, Western modern, or, or we were discussing earlier, even the ceremony like, if you look at marriage in scripture, there's no, like, and then you say your vows, and then you exchange rings. It, it seems very almost like, everyone agrees? Agree? Okay. Mm -hmm. Celebrate. <laughs> right? Like, we have this this concept of covenant that I think is, is a biblical basis, but 
yeah, like when we do marriages, even if you have a, a Christian in church marriage, is still largely a, a cultural production. That's not to say it's bad, but yeah. it's just that's just how we think of it. But but the heart of it is is something that God uh, established, and I think it actually is a lot deeper than we often get credit for. Like I was saying, even a lot of the kind of traditional conservative theologically driven guys would be like, it's all about reproduction. But in, in Ephesians 5 and what's traditionally the household cold, the codes. So <laughs> I don't want to read all of it, but that's the like, you know, uh, submit to one another uh, wives in this way, submit to your husband as, as uh, what's the phrasing? Does he say as the head of head in that phrase or is that the Corinthians I always get them confused. Um, and then it's like husbands love your wives as Christ loves the the church. And um, kind of towards the end of this, he he quotes Genesis, says, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." And he adds this, explaining it, saying, "This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church." And I think that's one of those verses that we kind of just read by. That we're like, oh, Christ and church, okay, cool, yeah, whatever. But what he's saying is that this marriage, the reason why he's so specific about it and he's giving instructions on how the marriage relationship should look, how the, the groom and the bride are to relate and love and respect one another and have this these different kinds of submission to that union is because it's a, an earthly picture of a greater union to come between Jesus and, and his bride, the church. Exactly. So it's taking this this fundamental relationship that God's instituted in creation itself. So it's not a Christian invention. Marriage is just a human part of being a human, I think. And then it's pointing to, like, it's a symbol of Christ in the church, like he talks about that. So it's like when, when a Christian enters marriage, you take this and you use it for the glory of God. And mm. it becomes this beautiful symbol that's how we relate to one another can illustrate that. Yeah. One, one thing, uh, anyone who's talked to me about marriage will know that one thing I'm always going on about is that uh, marriage is a type. Because typology is this, this idea of, of in reading scripture that really starts to open things up. And the, the really clear ways we see it is in the Old Testament, we'll see a, a type, which is a, an idea. It's a concept such as king of Israel or God's prophet or the high priest or the Messiah, which uh, which would have been like Moses was a Messiah. He led the people out as well as a prophet. Mm -hmm. And these images, these types are all pointing to, they're all foreshadowing a greater reality. David is a great king, but Jesus is the better king and he's the eternal king. Where David failed, Jesus does not. Where David let the people down, Jesus will not. Moses is a Messiah, but again, imperfect. And Jesus is the true Messiah. He doesn't just lead us out of captivity to Egypt. He leads us out of captivity to sin. Aaron is the high priest, but Jesus is the true and better high priest. That he is God himself. He has this perfect relationship to mediate between us and God. And, and likewise, the marriage covenant points us to the greater covenant in Christ. The, the union of marriage points to the greater union between Christ and the church. Yeah, exactly. So it's this, this imperfect picture that we strive to use and in the ways that it is holy and good that 
points to the the perfect fulfillment of them like mm -hmm. one of the ways that the new testament talks about christ in the church is the church is the bride of christ and and that's actually frequent language even going back to the old testament and the prophets mm -hmm. so it not only i think i think when we talk about marriage as a type we just focus on these husband and wife roles as like christ in the church and authority and yeah. i think that's an important part of it but it also speaks to the the intimacy and the desire christ has for the mm -hmm. church as well there's this mutual love and submission. I think we often view it like God is using this earthly concept of marriage to, as an example to explain what's going to happen, but it's more like he implemented this earthly concept to give us some foreshadow, some idea of what he's planning. Like It's not using something that already exists, it's creating something for a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why as Christians, we get uptight about marriage that's why we protect marriage we keep it holy we don't take the the making of the covenant or the breaking of it and divorce lightly and this is why why scripture is explicit on on how you know a husband and wife one man one woman are to act within this covenant how they are becoming one flesh they're leaving their father and mother and cleaving to each other because this is a very intentional um, establishment a very intentional thing that's been put in place to as a picture so we need to protect this picture from distortion mm -hmm. yeah god god himself talks of about his people whether it's the church or israel as like entering into a marriage covenant it is this depth of commitment to the other person that is is not self-focused like the shallow definitions we talked about earlier it's completely selfless and you're committing yourself to the good of the person you are marrying mm. yeah so to go back to that that first point it's marriage like yeah reproduction part of marriage but it's not the point of marriage the point of marriage is to point to god to point to to covenant and covenants i man there's a book I'll show it to you after, but I'd recommend if you want to read about all the covenants in scripture and get a really cool understanding is a book called the mystery, the mystery of Christ, his covenant and his kingdom. It might be his kingdom and his covenant, but uh, it's all of those words are in the title <laughs> and it's by Sam Renahan. It's really hard to find in Canada, but if you're in the States, it's really easy to get. You can get off the founder's website, but I highly recommend it. Uh, not an elementary read, but it's worth it's worth the slog for how, how cool it is to see how covenants play such a central role in scripture. But I think this, this raises the question that we, we kind of joked about. Should Christians be married? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like if, if Christians think marriage is something that in itself is a picture of the gospel in Christ and is so good and sacred, which it is, then... You would you would could you could come to the conclusion that that should be what every Christian should do then to honor God. But mm. I think that, you know, although some cultures and some churches seem to make that the norm and they expect, especially their pastors, like obviously you're gonna be married and have a family. Mm -hmm. But uh the New Testament and Paul and even Jesus himself make it clear that marriage isn't the only option. Singleness is a valid calling as well. Yeah. And well, and Paul actually talks quite a, a bit about it, but the the one kind of like passage that always comes to mind and that people bring up to me all the time, if I ever like comment on being single and desiring to be married is in First Corinthians seven thirty two. he says, uh, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. 
But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. So singleness definitely has a place. As Paul says, uh, theoretically, by being single, I'm more focused on the Lord because I shouldn't be as distracted by worldly things. I think there's something to be said, too, uh, when you talk about pastors with, um, oh, what's the phrase? It's like a soldier does not... um, Soldier does not include himself in civilian affairs, or as have its phrase. Yeah, Second Timothy. Yeah, Second Timothy, where it's like uh, when you, someone says, "Well, because you're single, you don't have worldly concerns." I'm like, I still have a job. <laughs> like, right. I still have to pay rent. <laughs> like, like we said, like we're not, you're not a monk in the monastery. Yeah, twenty four seven. Um, but there, yeah, there definitely is one. I could think of times in my life like like i often i've recently as i get a little older and grumpier i do set my phone (laughs) on do not disturb at night but i still if someone phones me in the middle of the night and they're like man i'm just having a really i'm in a dark place i need help like i can just get up and go and i've done that before and i don't have to be like oh man i can't leave my kids or i don't have to like wake up my wife to tell her why she's gonna wake up and i'm not gonna be there like I do have a little more flexibility to just kind of be available uh, to, and even just like people who have known me for a while know I'm almost like nomadic. Like even mm-hmm. the the fact that I'm now in Calgary was very like I think God's calling me to Calgary. Put everything in my SUV and drove to another province, and that's something that uh, as a married person you, you probably don't like. I don't want to say you don't have that freedom, but it's definitely more of a concern if you have to think about your family, right? Exactly. Yeah. Especially once you have children, you now have this, not not conflicting, but this this kind of other priorities that you have to consider that you can't just like uproot and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to move to Zambia tomorrow because yeah. you're, you're, and uh, in that passage, when Paul says you're concerned about the things of the world, like that's not the world in the sinful sense that the mm-hmm. Bible often talks about. It just means like the day-to-day things of human relationships and it's not those are good things like we're supposed to put our families first if you have them but being single is something that you can use all the benefits that come with that for god's glory Mm -hmm. so with singleness or marriage there's clear strengths and weaknesses when it comes to the gospel what would you say are some of the the strengths of being married then and having your attentions distracted all the time? Strengths of being married? Well, speaking from observation in scripture, not from experience, but um, I mean, like, like I said, for one, it, it's really a, an amazing, beautiful thing that it does point to a greater reality. Like when you think about um, this union and, and it's sanctifying in that, that every day you're, you're faced with having to, to have to show and experience grace mm-hmm. like you don't get to have the escape like i work in customer service as my day job so all day i'm having to like be nice to people but then when i can come home it's me time <laughs> like i don't have to continue to be graceful towards anyone because there's nobody here whereas in, in marriage you're having to to make those things a daily reality and constantly be living in that and that is sanctifying I, I assume. <laughs> have, have you been sanctified? <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. It reminds you of your, your shortcomings, especially when you think you're patient and then your children are doing something that annoys you and you realize you have you are very short on patience. Like it's um Yeah, it's definitely something that just constantly is is call is helping you to be better. But so when it comes to singleness, 
it's not that people are lacking in community. I mean, like mm -hmm. as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. It's just that the relationships that you have need to look different. It's not going to be like marriage, but you need those people still who are on that level that they're speaking into your life. Yeah. Because I think when we read in Genesis, when God creates Eve and he says it's not good for man to be alone, we often interpret that and say like, oh, well, that's why God made marriage. And while marriage is something that definitely helps meet that need, it's not like the purpose of marriage is companionship. It's mm -hmm. that humans are designed for community. That's why even singles have a spiritual family in the church. Yeah. When I, I think it's it's a worthwhile point was I was just as you were even saying that, I was thinking like, yeah, like who has the the ability to see my life and speak into it in a way that, you know, your wife or your kids even would. Uh, and it's definitely you have to be more open and intentional as a single person to make sure that people have that access to my life. It'd be a lot easier for me to just like throw up walls than it would be for you. Mm -hmm. But I also think that even then, um, like there might be things that, you know, you're doing at home that don't reflect the gospel reality, that don't reflect the transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life that maybe your wife doesn't feel like she can bring up. Hmm. that like whether she's like a man needs to say this or someone older needs to say there's something like that and i think there there's that still that broader need for community like even and i mean again speaking from from observation not mm -hmm. from experience but i i think it can be tempting for couples to go my family's my community and a lot of like you know, when I've led community group ministries, singles are like, yeah, community groups, let's get in a community group. And married couples are like, actually, uh, I can't be in a community group because I have children. And it's like, bring your children, like, like just be part of it. And uh, there's still a, a benefit and, and a need, I'd even say, for the larger spiritual community. If, if anyone's been listening through the, the Timothy series, we talked about the, the, the obligation, first and foremost, to your your nuclear family, then to your spiritual family, and then to the to the world, to the community outside. But I think we we can be tempted, and even as a single, I think there's a temptation to be like, "Man, I'm excited to get married someday, so I don't have to be part of the larger spiritual community." And in mm -hmm. some ways, it's like almost seeing it as an excuse. Um, but there's still a benefit as well for this this larger community, and I think that's. Um, that's a vision that that scripture gives us of, of the greater spiritual family of the household of God. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I think that while like there's a lay, a level where family is your first priority and that it, it does help meet a lot of those relational needs, like especially during COVID, I imagine we mm -hmm. were all isolated. I imagine having a family was easier than being alone, no. but it's not like that fills all your needs and you don't need church community anymore. Like when the Bible gives frequent instructions to parents and families it doesn't it never gives a picture of families apart from the gathered people of god whether that's israel or the church mm -hmm. yeah one well, how i'm we mentioned at the start that this kind of extreme individualism has really hurt our understanding of marriage i think it also has mm -hmm. hurt our understanding of of church and that we even can sometimes expand that a little bit like or even having roommates the sometimes my roommate and i would get in this really like us and them sort of bubble hmm. where it's like 
we're the two guys that we got it right and we're doing it our way and the rest of the church is crazy and we're going to vent about it but there is that's just like that's so individualism just as like a as a, a slightly larger body it's like i don't know there's another word for that it's like a tribalism almost mm. as opposed to individualism right. you you can have people that are close to you but that are almost that are so close that they don't have a different enough perspective to help you correct things you can't see yeah so we talked about how marriage is like sanctifying because it forces you to be graceful each day and it absolutely does mm-hmm. but it could also just as easily be someone who's constantly enabling you and you're <laughs> It becomes this negative cycle of yeah. you both kind of on that. So you need people who are involved enough to see what's going on in your life, but removed enough to kind of see clearly the blind spots that you can't see. Mm. I think the the picture of the early church that we get in, in Acts especially is of people who are constantly in each other's space and in each other's homes uh, to take care of each other's needs and look out for widows and orphans. Uh, it, when we read to that, they're devoted to apostolic cheap teachings. But I think part of that too is that, yeah, if you have someone that's just enabling you in your home, you have that outside perspective. And I think that's a thing too, where I've heard couples be like, well, we can't open up our home because we have a family. And they almost use that as like an excuse mm-hmm. to throw up that, that barrier. But as a single person, uh, like, I get it. It's scary. I also, I also don't want people coming into my home. Like, like, I don't know. Even, uh, I think we kind of joked that I was like, Oh, do I need to hide any of my movies? Or are you going to judge me for my movie selection? Cause they're just out on my shelf and no, they're pretty fine. I think. Um, but like, yeah, having someone come into your home is a level of vulnerability, but I think that is how the church is, is going to operate and how we're meant to operate is that we need to be vulnerable to an extent to each other in order to to allow iron to sharpen iron yeah exactly you need to be open enough that people are like you you can't you can't have close relationships if you don't spend enough time with people and talk to them about what's really happening in life like they Mm -hmm. need to see your life including in your home and it's like we we have the standards of hospitality sometimes culturally that like your home needs to be perfectly neat you have to have a three-course meal yeah and it's like no just like you just open your life and invite people in. And I think there's a lot of room for the church to grow there. Yeah. One of the the cool images of the church, something that's really inspired me is, is C.S. Lewis actually writing on friendship in his book. I think it's called The Four Loves. It says, uh, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth. And in that book, he gives an example of he has a friend that has is just like a boisterous laugher, a big laugher. But he didn't know that about him until they had another friend come in who could really set that guy off and really get him laughing. And I think that that's true of, of most of our relationships that we we actually get more out of our relationships by bringing more people into it and getting more perspectives but mm-hmm. also with sanctifying i think that that helps the relationship uh with god because even like uh, things we we disagree on or even like we've been talking eschatology you'll bring up a point that i'm like huh i hadn't thought of that point and i wouldn't have thought of that point on my own if i didn't have you coming in and bringing your perspective and it's not that there there's multiple true interpretations but by having multiple perspectives and multiple people's experiences and wisdom and knowledge 
we can get many lights shining on the same mm-hmm. truth, which can give us a full picture of what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Like one one person's perspective is limited, but if you have more people looking at the same thing, you're going to get a clearer picture of that. And the same is true with scripture or anything. Yeah. Like you mentioned one of those features of that early church was committing themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like there's no... Right, just because you have Christian families doesn't mean you don't need Christian church. Like, you can't imagine someone saying, "Oh, I need to go listen to Paul. My dad knows the Bible." Like, yeah. we need one another to add that perspective and bring that out. Like, we all have different gifts that are for the upbuilding of the body, and within a family, you can't act like you have all that you need to self-sufficiently carry that out. Yeah, there's a, a kind of like proverb, I guess that that progressive Christians like to use, where they talk about the. Uh, the 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 was it three blind men feeling an elephant and one of them oh, has yeah. has the ear and he's going it's a stingray and one of them has the leg and he's going it's a tree and one of them has the trunk and he's like no it's a snake and uh in the kind of progressive postmodern world they're like yeah because see that's like us with all of our worldviews and our interpretations we all think we have the right one it's like but the reality is there's like someone who's intelligent is gonna go wait I'm pretty sure this is an elephant mm-hmm. like. They're actually all wrong, but they need all of their uh, perspectives in order to find the one truth. There only is one truth, but it's a—it's really helpful to get there. Like there have been so many people that have spoken into my life mm-hmm. over the years, even people who probably don't even realize it. Like I think one of the biggest influences in my my faith post parents, like since leaving mm-hmm. home, was a professor named Brad Cop who's like i don't even know where he is i don't know if he would even remember me but (laughs) just thinking of this plurality of voices and influences that help us all to refine not refine truth truth is perfect but refine our own understanding and i think without that kind of community we could go our our whole lives without truly understanding the gospel or whole lives without addressing some besetting sin because we just isolated ourselves Mm-hmm, exactly like uh when when the bible talks about wisdom and even solomon as, as the wisest person who ever lived has all these advisors and stuff mm-hmm. so that even though we might have capacities on our own we still the more you have the better it gets and that's kind of god's design for church it's not like there's this ideal size of like 10 12 people small group that's what church should be like the more community you have, you welcome people into that and you just add those giftings, those perspectives, those, those personalities, and you just make a bigger and more diverse family. It's mm. a really good point about Solomon. Like the wisest man would be the one who realizes that he also needs the wisdom of others. Exactly. That's interesting. But well, I think that's a good conversation for this episode. Um, thank you all for listening. We appreciate you being here. And we don't just say that. I actually appreciate it. I do read comments, even the ones that I don't understand, even the ones with emojis. Um, sometimes I go, I don't understand what this person is saying, but I still give you a thumbs up. So <laughs> we appreciate you being here. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can leave a comment on YouTube. And we like that because that helps the video get more views and other people can see that too. And maybe someone else will have an answer to whatever your question is. But if you're shy, you can also message on Instagram at Sinner Suffers uh, or join the Discord. Nobody's posting there in ages. I need to just revive it, but I'm, I'm not giving up on it. It's a good place to chat and have conversations. You can find a link to that on sinnersandsuffers.com. Um, like the video, actually click like, 
You liked the video. <laughs> I liked the last video, but like did you? the series before that with Pastor Trevor, I was like, that was good. I'm going to like it later. And then yeah. I didn't go back to it. So don't do no, that. Yeah, like I know it. it seems like petty. It's like, why do YouTube people always want this? It's because if you watch it and, and especially if you don't watch to the very last second, you probably won't because most people don't and you don't hit like YouTube goes, oh, it must not have been that good. And it hides it. So like the video. Uh, same is true for ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple podcasts. That helps it kind of move up. So if you someone searches christian podcast maybe we'll maybe we'll get up there someday and people can listen to us but so if you really like the show you should watch it on all those things yeah listen to it twice and watch it once and then, and then review it but different reviews per experience anyways all that to say we appreciate you and we want to hear from you and we will see you later later